Boom shakalaka, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters around the world. It is your chocolate Nubian soul brother, Chris Shule, a.k.a. the Esoteric Noetic, a.k.a. the Bitcoin MC, a.k.a. the Dropper of Wisdomatic Crypto Savagery. And we're about to interview Krista Rose. Now, if you guys are not familiar with Krista Rose, prepare to be mind-boggled. This guy is dope when it comes to his understanding of psychology, when it comes to his understanding of code. We're going to get it into everything on this podcast. Get into Bitcoin, get into liberty, get into psychology, get into some hot-button issues in regards to, uh, well, this whole space of, of, of freedom, I like to call it. I mean, I, I personally think of Bitcoin as a tool for bringing about more freedom in the world. And I think it's going to be interesting to get Chris's thoughts on how he looks at Bitcoin, because I noticed that there are a lot of different ideas, uh, philosophies governing this space. And yeah, I really wanted to get into that with Chris DeRose. So without further ado, let's get Chris DeRose, this uh, awesome dropper of truth bombs, onto the Crystal Journey podcast. Let's rock, y'all. Shakalaka, there's your awesome smile. How you doing, brother? Doing excellent. Good to hear. Good to hear. Mom, Matt, is the is the audio within acceptable parameters right now? I want to make sure that this thing is uh, is legit for you. You're a special guest, man. I want to make sure the fans get everything out of this. How we doing? Can you hear me? I can hear you. You talking to me? I'm talking to you, man. I was just asking oh, if yeah. the audio was uh, was was rocking. So it's all right. Yep, we're good over here. Fantastic. So, Chris, I listened to your your interview on the humans of Bitcoin. Really enjoy that. I think you have some really cool ideas on what's going on in the Bitcoin space. I spoke to Vin Armani about, I think, earlier this year, and he highly recommended you. He mentioned that you're one of the few people in this space that is really tackling the, the psychological uh, realm of Bitcoin, like what's happening in regards to the tribalism. And I, I, I definitely noticed that there's clearly a lot of tribalism. And one of the things I wanted to get into was, uh, yeah, just I guess I guess some of the religiosity that is going on in the Bitcoin space. But without further ado, uh, let's get into who you are. Who is Chris DeRose? How'd you get into this whole space? And what's your what's your philosophy? What is the thing that governs your ideology in life? Yeah. So thank you so much for the generous introduction, and I'm very happy to be on. What got me into the space uh, was Silk Road uh, in 2011. And I had followed Bitcoin slightly before. There was a post on Slashdot, and I thought it was really interesting, but I couldn't see what the hell it was good for. And then Silk Road happened, and then I thought, oh, okay, well, I get this now. We we do need this money. And while I think now my views have changed substantially for many reasons, I think that was a probably a very good reason to understand, I, I think at some level, like what it is to have a subculture, what it is to have uh, power in a subculture, which seems to be what blockchain provides is the ability to transfer power and value amongst the members of these subcultures. And when I started the journey, I, I went through like this process of bringing my beliefs in life onto the space, learning, uh, generally seeing those those beliefs propagate, and then moving on to like a new field of study. So it started off with computer science. My earliest stuff was uh, university lectures and, and things like that. Uh, code that I had written around the Bitcoin system, not a core contributor, but um, code that was pretty pretty sophisticated, I think, for the time. Uh, from there, I moved into finance, and I started to 
spend a lot of time on financial implications. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm a big EMHer. We can get into that. But uh, the degree to which markets are efficient, I think, was a big discovery of my own. And then from there, geez, I think I went into philosophy, frankly, which is kind of where I'm at now. And really, that's the, the precursor to governance or it's even perhaps the same as governance. I don't know which, but that's that's roughly the lens through which I'm looking at the space at the moment. Cool, man. Well, let's get into that a little. Like You mentioned that you're you're fascinating. You've been delving into the realm of philosophy, and I, I consider this this podcast, whereas I, I go into a whole bunch of different things, the, the primary focus is liberty, is this voluntarist uh, uh, philosophy. And I, I guess me personally, one of the reasons I got involved in <clears throat> this whole space was I, I saw it as being linked to the libertarian movement. I mean, you find, where is there all these different camps in the space that are talking about what Bitcoin is? I feel like uh, the uh, the OGs, the original gangsters of Bitcoin, at least from what I, the narrative that I followed, just kind of following a lot of the, the work of Roger Ver, is it's been, Bitcoin has been about about separation of economics and state. It's been a, a way of bringing about more freedom to the individual. I mean, I initially started off listening to people like Andreas Antonopoulos, and he was very much in line with this whole philosophy of how governments are, I mean, he's not completely against governments. I mean, I've heard him say he's all for tax and all that kind of stuff, but he's not under the opinion that we need more freedom in the hands of individuals. And that's the same idea that is shared by people like Roger Ver, a lot of the uh, libertarians out there. And when it comes to philosophy, uh, am, am I speaking to a statist over here, man? Or like, are we speaking about? I mean, I'm curious to hear what your what your perspective is on on governance, on 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 philosophy in general, and what Bitcoin, I guess, means to you. Yeah, so I've gone through a few iterations of this, and I myself was very aligned with the libertarian ideology at one point. I'm much less so now. And um, for a bunch of reasons, the libertarian platform changed a lot over the years. That's one part of it. Uh, but I think, too, I think there's there's a degree of financial ignorance that did, per- and, and really civics ignorance, that permeated some of the libertarian space in ways that I, I no longer really identified with. Um, so here's this this notion of the, of the state is really interesting to me here in Bitcoin because, and, and this is going to be controversial. We can work through it. I may be wrong. Sure. Well, but more controversial, more, more if, entertaining. So uh, I'm I'm happy to to delve into that yeah. stuff. Well, so so uh, there's a few ways we can introduce the topic. But when going historically into the space, Bitcoin was identified and presented to the libertarians or the, the internet at large as a uh, virtual gold or a digital gold, and that that is what the investment thesis was. And I think that worked for many years, and I certainly believed that for many years. But lo and behold, in the year 2018, a few things have happened that makes that pitch a little bit absurdist. Um, number one, it seems that Bitcoin is designed by men and that it may actually not be the construction of the non-human, which makes it very different than gold because gold was designed by the non-human. It has 79 protons in its nucleus and it has an atomic number. Bitcoin, on the other hand, doesn't have an atomic number. Its identity, its construction, its form was that of a dictator's form, the dictator of Satoshi Nakamoto, a good dictator, a benevolent dictator, but a man nonetheless. And it seems as if in the debate now, what's being perhaps perverted or misconstrued or unconsidered is the degree to which the form that is Bitcoin is a form by committee. And I think that if you... If you accept that, if you if you believe that, and it may not be true, 
But if you do believe that, then you end up in this perverse conclusion that in fact, Bitcoin is fiat. Bitcoin is the construction of a committee. It has, it is a decree. Okay. And, and so that we can unwrap that or we can argue that or we can, well, let's, whatever you let's like. look at that. Cause one, one thing I find yeah. interesting is how people define things. I mean, you're, you're define, defining fiat as, uh, as, as basically, uh, um, a form of money by decree. So essentially a form of money that is, is forced that needs to, that has to be used by its people. Correct me if I'm wrong. Would that be right? Well, yeah, although I think that that would be uh, most or all dictionaries' definition more so than my own. Okay. And in regards to digital gold, one thing I find a little controversial is that whereas you have one side of the community that I think this is probably what well, people within the, the Roger Camp would call the Bitcoin core group, they were looking at Bitcoin as a form of digital gold. I think there is a, another part of the community that's looking at this as electronic peer-to-peer cash. And this idea that was initially adopted as having, well, Bitcoin as digital gold isn't necessarily embraced by the community. Well, I, the, the way in which I see Bitcoin, I see this as a form of money that is not controlled by the government. I mean, obviously, with the current system of fiat, you have central banks, and they're able to control the money supply, and they're able to, through inflation, steal from individuals. And the idea behind Bitcoin, the, the way in which I would hear Antonopoulos speak about this, and the, the way in which I would hear Roger Ver speak about this, is because Bitcoin is governed by, the law, by mathematical laws, by regulation. It's not necessarily controlled by one entity as such. It's uh, the changes are made through this uh, anarchic uh, system. Of, it's a semi-democratic system. It's not controlled by one body. Therefore, it's more decentralized. You're not going to have the same fuckery at foot that you see within central banks. And that aspect is how I see Bitcoin as being um, more libertarian. It's more, it's more sound that it's not, one, it's not corrupted by the central bank, and two, it's not forced in the, in the sense that where is with fiat money, I mean, the government says that, look, you have to use this money, and if you try to make any other currency, we're going to lock you up. I mean, people don't have to use Bitcoin, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you can use whatever crypto you want. And in that sense, I personally don't define it as being fiat. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are in regards to that. Yeah, so so the, the notion that this is a mathematical formula is kind of a lie. Um, and, I, and I know that it's pervasive and it's a useful lie. But uh, the easy example of how this isn't mathematical, that's generally easy at least, is why do we have 10-minute blocks? Why do we have 10-minute blocks? And there's no formula for that. It, it's a guess. It's a good guess. But it's a, it's a human's guess. And there's actually a lot of those in the Bitcoin source code. And it might even be the majority of the Bitcoin source code are human guesses that aren't necessarily mathematically based. Um, things like, why do we use double SHA-256? Um, and, and on and on. And I think that's okay. I, I think that's A-okay. Um, what I think has happened in the space was we, we, we had effectively a movement of decentralization, which was a um, resistance to the incumbent power. And the rallying point or all of us in that resistance was the, the, the antithetical view of the establishment, which is very common in history. You have anarchists of a sort, but an anarchism is generally a, a transitional government. It, it doesn't actually form in any degree of permanence for a bunch of reasons. And so I think that we've had that. And now what I, I think we will need and what I suspect is happening anyways um, is a cohesion of the anarchists and the election of a leader. And we're seeing that, I think, even like this week, it's been like happening fast mm -hmm. that I've been watching that transpire. Um, a few other points about, I think, what you had just mentioned, like inflation is kind of a weird 
bugaboo. I, I think I don't know why that's immoral to people or why that's bad. It, I don't see. So like the thing here's the thing about inflation. It exists for good reason. Um, one of the problems we have in this space well, is that just to interrupt you money. there. Um, at least in the way in which I understand inflation, I mean, uh, to me, I, I'm just looking at this along the lines of let's say counterfeiting. I mean, obviously we we understand generally speaking that counterfeiting is bad. So if we all have an agreed upon currency and uh, we we believe that theft is bad, and someone is um, producing a fake currency, obviously. That is, is lowering the value of your currency. So essentially, it's a way of stealing from you over time. And in that sense, it's sure. kind of, that's kind of how I look at inflation as being bad. Okay, so so what you'll often find in government is that it's necessary, if not sufficient. And there are many ways to find fault in government. But unfortunately, if you perhaps reverse the role and say to yourself, well, how would I do it? What you may often find is that that, that level of necessity was better than the alternative. And I think that we see that in inflation. And be a counterfeiter otherwise, one of the reasons why inflation is an economic efficiency is because if you don't inflate the money, then people don't spend it. And uh, particularly in the United States, uh, what we see is that consumers, uh, or at least dollar users, are in fact not only using um, to not save their dollars, they choose to invest it in American companies, which further grows the economy. And to uh, buy goods and services or to, to uh, create, create greater liquidity, volume, and monetary velocity as a result of spending their dollars. Um, and then the other thing, too, I think that's a little bit misguided on inflation is that if you don't want inflation, you can just press a button and not have it. Like every user of the dollar has that button. It's called TIPS. And it's the Treasury Inflation Protection Securities. It's offered by the U.S. Treasury. And it's guaranteed not to inflate. And you hit a button and your dollars convert immediately into TIPS and they are guaranteed to, to not inflate anymore. There's, there's zero penalties. There's a little bit of friction sometimes in terms of like creating a Vanguard account and you may have to pay a, an execution fee, but it's very minimal. So some of the libertarian tropes, I understand why they exist, but I think that they were a little bit maligned with perhaps the reality right, or what well, I've at least come to that's believe fair might enough. be the reality. <laughs> that's fair yeah. enough. I mean, um, uh, clearly, you know, we have different philosophical views on, on things like that, but I, I really wanted to get into... Uh, Actually, for, first of all, I, I noticed uh, I was just checking out your your tweets, and there was some kind of like uh, issue with uh, with Jimmy. What, what's going on there? Like he recently blocked you. I, I've noticed yeah. that something that tends to go on in. Well, I'm pretty new to Twitter, and this whole blocking thing is. Uh, well, it seems to be happening with a lot of these big influences, and if we're really about trying to bring about what, what I would have thought is more a, a better system of, of of exchange and all that kind of stuff, all of these influences should be talking to each other, right? But nonetheless, we see so much, um, so much, uh, you know, shutting out. I mean, this is something that I find a lot of people within the community have been doing. Craig Wright, Jimmy, obviously. And what's going on there? And what, what are your thoughts in regards to the whole, uh, the disconnect that takes place in regards to communication within so many of the, the influences here? Yeah, so th there's a strong religious bent in Bitcoin. And it's always been strong, for, for not least of which because Bitcoin itself was a bit of, a, of the creation myth that we find in Christianity. And in the early years, you generally saw a lot of Christians uh, in the Bitcoin movement who I think resonated with a lot of the of the rhetoric of the time. This notion that the Savior came and he died for our sins and gave us this money that will redeem us uh, for the second coming, which would be, you know, the uh, financial Armageddon. So there's this sort of religious component in the space. It's not bad. It's actually quite nice even. But uh, because of that, what you find is this um, leadership style in the space is very common by which the oracle comes with hidden knowledge. Um, Vitalik is an easy one. Um, many others uh, would, would work. But Vitalik, he's this affected seer. He's uh, something of a Moses figure. 
and he has the hidden truth and he has the hidden knowledge. And if you believe in him, you will receive the gains of, of that message. And, and in, invariably these people don't have special knowledges or special powers. Um, Tone Vase is like an easy example here too. So is, so is Jimmy. And what happens is as people such as myself say, Hey, wait a minute. I think that there's science or there's reason or there's knowledge here uh, because of how they've built their platforms, they can't respond to the criticism. And so what they'll do is block the criticism that prevents it from entering their sphere and their followers sphere. And so what that does is create greater allegiance to um, this, the, the mythical existence that these people often have. And I don't really block anybody. I think I've blocked two people and I've unblocked them even thereafter. I don't see a need for it. I don't really know why the blocking is needed other than it's generally sort of antithetical to the pursuit of reason. And um, in the case of Jimmy, it's, it's particularly bad. So what we had in my estimation, very, very political, but what we had in the space, um, it was, a, it was a group, a cabal, effectively the Bitcoin maximalists of 2017 or so. I'm giving you an abridged version of this who came to us and said, we have no leaders. Listen to me. There are no leaders. And they did this sort of like prison, uh, shot caller politic thing where like, so in prison, I don't know if you've ever been, but in prison, there are no leaders. Um, and if you disagree, if you think that there's a leader, a shot caller will have a foot soldier come and reform your beliefs so that you believe there are no leaders. And that political uh, style became more prevalent here with the Bitcoin maximalists. Um, and Jimmy Song fell either victim to it or himself was a shot caller. Tone Vase obviously was the same. And so if you started to talk about how the leaders of this space existed, uh, they would generally denigrate you or uh, otherwise and eventually block you so that your belief that they're leaders didn't permeate the space and disrupt the hierarchy of the system. Uh, that came to a point this week when uh, it, it's kind of complicated, but the gist roughly is that we had a gigantic bug in Bitcoin that required not only an immediate upgrade, um, but was uh, given to us by somebody who was of a foul form, of an unhygienic form, a shit coiner, uh, whose uh, beliefs were impure and unclean, and which required adherence to a leadership in order to uh, defend us from. So in many ways, the rhetoric of the Bitcoin maximalists completely broke down this week. Um, I don't think it's even remotely reasonable anymore. And so they're blocking. And you're seeing that with Jimmy. Jimmy can't respond to that. There's, there's, he's just been kind of like busted, I think. And it's sad because, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like to, I mean, I shame people. I'm not, you know, I'm a human. I'm not perfect. But I don't like to rally a community around shame. And uh, a lot of the maximalists, a lot of the oracle types, that's roughly how they keep people in line is through shame. And, you know, I'd like to see us perhaps lead through uh, virtue more or vision and construction. And uh, I think for these reasons, that's, that's kind of how my platform has differed in recent times than uh, some of these others. And that, that's kind of the issues going around right now in the space with uh, perhaps behind the scenes information about the leadership here in Bitcoin. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, I'm curious when, when we're talking about Bitcoin here. Uh, are we talk? What what what's your le? I know you're not someone that has allegiance. Obviously, you're all for reason and thought, and you're you're a critical thinker. Now, there are obviously very different directions in regards to uh, Bitcoin. You have the Bitcoin Core, what what some of us would call Bitcoin Core (BTC), and then of course you have I'm the Bitcoin Cashers. And uh, this bug that you were talking about that was was that in relation to um, BTC, so Bitcoin, or and what are your thoughts in regards to Bitcoin versus Bcash? <laughs> right. So the whole okay, so B, uh, Bitcoin so Bcash, Cash. Um, BTC. Bcash is hilarious to me yeah, because BCA. for me, Bcash is disgusting. Um, it is the most vile source of filth. There's nothing on this planet worse than a Bcash. And everybody agrees with that. 
the disagreement is who is the B cashers? I think the B cashers are the people who say cash and B cash is the blockchain they run. Some people disagree with that assessment, but um, that's I mean, an interesting. Way of so what you're saying the B cashers are the people that are. I mean, we're not talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash proponents here, but they're just people that have a particular attitude in regards to their, their way of seeing who's running the right blockchain. Yeah, I mean, I've learned so much about how people work in this space. Um, the, the blockchain is a language for programming people, okay? It's a vile thing to say, but I'd be damned if it isn't true. I have seen people do the craziest things because blockchain told them to. And I'm learning how to work with people and work with crowds. And I even want to probably at some point I write a book about some of this stuff that I've learned. Um, and so sort of in the sense of the rhetoric that exists, it's obvious that there's some degree of outgroup. It's called outgroup derogation, um, denigration, excuse me, in, in the form of the people we don't want here who are the B-cashers. Um, but you know what? Here's, so we can we gotta talk about that. It's a great discussion. We can get back to like the engineering teams. Here's a couple things that relate to, I think, what we want to get at. Um, number one, blockchains are communities, and they are led by governments, in my assessment. So there's the Bitcoin core government, there's the Bitcoin cash government. The question of like which is the true Bitcoin is, I guess, irrelevant if you believe that this is in gold. If you believe this is gold, then there's no government, but then there's also no need for Bitcoin core. So I don't think that that path works. So if you believe then that, in fact, a blockchain is a form of government, then... Uh, Bitcoin Core offers the best engineers on the planet, like really some of the best people. Um, meanwhile, Bitcoin Cash offers some of the best marketing in blockchain and frankly, one of the best communities in blockchain. So now you have these two financial products, uh, which are, are you going to invest in the engineers? Or are you going to invest in community? Both are very good investment decisions. And in fact, I'd, I'd recommend from my financial background uh, that you index, you invest in both so that no matter who wins or what happens, you win. Um, We'll, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, it, it's becoming increasingly clear that the engineering component of this is roughly fungible, meaning a engineer for Bitcoin Core can and does work for Bitcoin Cash. Almost, I think every single one of the Bitcoin Core devs are Bitcoin Cash devs now. Um, and you can know that by looking at the lines of code in, in GitHub. Meanwhile, the, the inverse isn't true. Uh, the people who are allegiant to Bitcoin Cash community are not fungible in the sense that they would necessarily port over to Bitcoin Core and vice versa. The people that are allegiant to the Bitcoin Core community are not going to necessarily be allegiant to Bitcoin Cash. So, so these are like investment principles that we have in front of us at this time. And uh, I, rec I recommend indexing so that uh, no matter what happens, you win. But these sort of allegiance games and such are a huge part of what I love to look at in the space. I think this is no remarkable. Doubt. No doubt. That's, that's an area that I find really interesting as well. I, I think the... <sighs> The, the reasons for allegiance has changed, at least from my assessment over the last year or so. I mean, I was finding generally, um, the, we, this is with Bitcoin Cash versus Bitcoin, BTC. Uh, you found a lot of people that were in favor of Bitcoin Cash, I'd call the original gangsters, the people that were, uh, you know, the, the hardcore libertarians. They were siding towards this um, idea of competition. I mean, one of the, one of the conversations that was taking place during... Um, the, the fork last year, was obviously the big block discussion. And I found that you had a community of people, one community of people that was saying, hey, we're all for competition. I mean, this whole idea of having miners increase the block side, it, from my understanding, that's going to obviously require more powerful computers. And I think the Bitcoin core comp proponents were saying that that's going to lead to more centralization. And it's going to, 
it, it's obviously not a good thing. And then you had the Bitcoin cash proponents, a lot of the hardcore ANCAPs, that were saying that, look, there's nothing wrong with competition. And that's that's more what I would call a ver- like a, a, a an anarcho-capitalist mentality. You know, there's nothing wrong with having competition, even though it may restrict... Uh, uh, it may make it more difficult for people, may lead to more centralization. And I think because of these different philosophies, like, I think you had a lot of people that were either siding with the whole, I'm in favor of competition, or I'm not in favor of competition, I want to have more freedom, I want to have the normal people being able to uh, to, uh, uh, to to mine and obviously have access to the same stuff, if that kind of makes sense. So I guess from my assessment, one of the main differences between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Core was this philosophy of competition versus more, uh, well, well, giving everyone access, like that whole kind of ANCAPs versus ANCOMs, anarcho-capitalists versus anarcho-communists. Would you agree with that? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, so there's, you're, you're mostly right, or even entirely right, but I think there's room for some nuance. In the Bitcoin Core camp, there's this politics of inevitability that has manifested, meaning... The politics of Bitcoin Core are such that success is inevitable. And anybody who doesn't believe that is immoral. They are shitcoiners or they are unhygienic. Uh, their contamination might spread, so they should be cast out from the hole. Unless they believe that our success is guaranteed. That seems to be the politic that developed in Bitcoin Core side. Um, I find that to be a bit short-sighted, uh, not least of which is because I think we learned during the Titanic uh, that perhaps that's a bad way to lead that the universe owes us very few things, let alone a victory. And anticipation is perhaps a bit more effective as a strategy than reaction. I agree. So in my mind, the the blocking issues manifested as a political football more so than they were anything else, meaning uh, everything kind of converged onto a point, and that was in sort of the zeitgeist at the time. But what really was going on was uh, demographically... Some people were attracted to the politics of inevitability, and others felt like, no, it was a little bit too too soon to sit on our laurels. Um, and the community divided from there. Now, in many ways, that kind of had to happen. I think uh, in, in political science, you would generally find that there would be a, a pro and a con force in any demographic body. So it might even be wrote that this happened, and it may just be the development of political parties in the Bitcoin space. And it may even be that all blockchains would have to suffer that fate, that there would be a a conservative party and a progressive party and we would expect very similar things to happen as we would see here in the United States but in blockchain uh, so I'm not sure what the case is there exactly but that's roughly I think we're on the same page that's roughly how I see it yeah I, I tend to agree I, I must admit I initially took on the idea of this thing is going to do this X Y and Z it's gonna revolutionize the world it, and I find a lot of the people in the space have this it's almost um, uh, it, it's almost like blind belief in in like blind uh, positivity, and I, I personally am an optimist. I'm definitely someone that speaks with uh, a lot of conviction, and that you know this is going to happen. I'm going to achieve this, but I think you can get too caught up in that way of seeing things and not realize that nothing is is certain. You know, the the, the only constant in life is change. And I think a lot of people have placed their bet on Bitcoin or uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash, realize not realizing that at the end of the day, there's no way to definitively say what's going to happen in the future in ten years time. Um, Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Core may not even be here. We may have a completely different cryptocurrency that does things much, much better. And uh, agree, be- yeah. Because of that, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely created this cult-like mentality, like people that have this fervent belief in what's going to happen, 
And, uh, I mean, I've kind of taken a, spe- a step back over the last uh, few months in regard, I mean, being some, somewhat disillusioned within the camp. Because my interest in this, fundamentally, just so you understand, I come from, um, where is I, I, I have a background in computer science. I did um, in, uh, information technology at university. My main focus has been on the uh, philosophical side in regards to the whole liberty movement, like buying into this idea, ah, oh, man, Bitcoin's going to, like, bring about more freedom in the world, this kind of stuff, and it's going to bring uh, bring banking to uh, uh, poverty-stricken nations. It's going to allow people to, ha- to uh, have control of their own money, that kind of thing, and buying into one particular group, but then realizing somewhere down the line that uh, groups change and ideas change. And I think people that may have initially had one idea in regards to what Bitcoin was, I mean, that shifted over time, and it's become... I mean, I'm finding at the moment there are these different camps. I wanted to get in, into this a little. I mean, you have Roger's camp. Roger is what I'd call the hardcore libertarian. He's, he's someone that... He's what I'd call a voluntarist. Philosophically, I'm very much aligned with him, whereas I don't always agree in the way that he conducts himself in regards to the whole, um, I guess, managing the crowd. I think at times he can be... A lot of people tend to have a lot of resentment towards him because he's very kind of harsh and doesn't... He doesn't really manage... Uh, uh, well, he's, he just says what he wants without considering too much how it's going to affect people. And I think that can be a very effective tool when you're trying to achieve something, but can obviously rub people the wrong way. And But you also have the, uh, what I'd say, the Craig Wright camp. Like, Craig Wright is someone that considers himself a libertarian, but he has more of what I'd call a, a, a governmental libertarian. Like, he's someone that is very much for uh, patents. He's very much for um, taxation. He's very much for uh, government. But he's more interested in the economical side of Bitcoin in that he wants sound money. He wants a system where uh, uh, his version of Bitcoin is obviously a system where um, you don't have central banks controlling uh, the money supply. It's all uh, it's this idea well, that I had, regardless of whether you you subscribe to that. But I'm well, just, just I think everybody believes in sound money, right? Like, is there anybody who doesn't believe in this entire planet uh, in unsound money or or something? Something of such things? I think you'd be surprised. I think um, there are definitely... I, I've heard of, I think, Lou Jr., um, all being for taxation. Um, I know... I, I've heard of Vin Armani speaking about this. I'm actually not too familiar, so don't take my word for it. But I also... Obviously, within the different cryptocurrencies, you have people that are very much in favor of, I, I guess, I'd, I'd say ideas that are uh, antithetical to, um, I guess, what we call uh, libertarian ideals. I mean, the whole taxation thing i mean uh for instance correct me from because i'm not a technical guy i know with dash for instance and i know this is also a very controversial issue they're very much in favor of uh of essentially having their have taking a, a certain amount of of a reward from the from the mining pool to devote towards projects and things like that now i think a lot of the hardcore ancaps don't like that philosophy because it's kind of like a form of taxation so where is it that that's not inherently against the idea of sound money? I guess I'm just talking a bit more about just the schools of thoughts when it comes to uh, the governments of the blockchain. Like there are some people that have very different ideas that are not in line with the classical uh, approach to libertarianism, like Austrian economics. And then there are others that – let me know what your thoughts are on that because I'm, I'm still relatively yeah. new to the, this, uh, the technical scene in this stuff. So, yeah, so let me give you my, my opinion on some of this stuff because there's a bunch in there. Mm-hmm. I'm very sympathetic to the semiotics comprehension of certainly people as a result of what I've done in blockchain. Meaning, what is sound money if it's not a sign for good money or moral money? And while you have a in your head a comprehension of sound money that's probably very specific, uh, my suspicion is that if I went to every person's head 
that believed in sound money and looked inside their brains and understood what sound money was, it would be slightly different. They, their form, the shared form that is the sound money, um, has almost nothing in common in many cases other than it is a sign of good. And like it, this gets kind of deep, but I love that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, it, it seems as if good is a sign that tells you to go this way. And you put good in front of like an animal or a child and given conditioning and, and uh, history and such, they will come, they will learn to go in the way that the sign that says good tells them to go. You know, they have a fork in the road. One way says good, one says, says bad. They go towards good. So then you fast forward and now you have a fork in the road and one sign says sound money and one says unsound money and they go towards sound money. And that's also true for even decentralization. If I asked, and I've done this before where I go to like conferences and I ask a bunch of people, what is decentralization? Every single one of them has a different answer, but they all agree that it is the sign for good. So they're all at this conference because the sign for good pointed in that direction. And for me, that seems very predictive working with people in the space. And it seems as if that like the language of programming people that is blockchain requires a comprehension of semiotics in that way. And, and you can see that even the libertarian movement, like this notion of liberty, for example, what is liberty? And it seems, here's where it gets really perverse, frankly. Okay. Now, this is good stuff. I wanted, I wanted, let's go into this. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm a little, I have to confess, I'm a little bit, um, I don't know, uh, distorted by some of the Russian philosophers out there. But um, it's liberty is good. It is a virtue. It is a sign that says good. It is direction that we go in and we are unified towards the pursuit of good. But it seems to represent, um, in, in the shared conscience, the place that any of us has in society when you are when you have liberty you know your place and we can know that that's roughly what is the embodiment of the belief because liberty always requires money if liberty meant doing whatever you wanted you wouldn't need money but instead it seems that liberty is a sign for good a things that we want to follow but which is a constraint on freedom by way of money and that seems actionable to me but I, I, I always find that that's very offensive to libertarians because it doesn't quite comport with the meaning of libertarianism, even if it's perhaps the, the sort of ramification Sure, sure. I find this topic um, really interesting because a lot of the times it comes down to definitions. And look, you, you're right to call me up. Like, I, I think the term, at least some of the things that I was implying, talking about, for instance, Dash, was um, it, it's not in relation to sound money. Now, there is actually what I would call... Uh, an accurate definition of what sound money is. I think I've heard of uh, Max Kaiser uh, quoting Aristotle and uh, Isaac Newton, and like they had this uh, agreement in regards to what sound money is. It has certain characteristics. It's supposed to be fungible, durable. Like there, there is an actual definition. I just think what often happens is, like with Bitcoin, people have different ideas on what that definition is. My attitude is obviously there's an original definition of, of a particular word, like sound money. Now I can't define it for you right now. I, I can. I, I understand some of the characteristics, but I'm not going to be so bold enough to dis define exactly what it is. But there are certain characteristics, and I think there is an agreed-upon definition. But what happens is over time, people obfuscate that definition. I can tell you, in regards to liberty, in regards to um, at least how I use it, how but, I would... Can you how it's, real quick? Sure. It's, it's, you don't know what the sound money criterion is, but you know you believe in it. So oh, well, no, I, agree, no, I actually, I do actually understand, I, I can actually quote you the characteristics, at least, now I'm oh, not 100% right, so certain if everyone agrees let me upon hear. it. Okay. Sure. Um, okay, okay but to be honest, I'm, I'm not, I, I know there's supposed to be certain characteristics, for instance, it's supposed to be uh, durable, I mean, have a look at gold, for instance, the fact that it can't be easily created, I mean, if, we, if it's something like paper, obviously, the fact that it can be so easily reproduced, that 
is not a characteristic of sound money. The fact that it uh, can be transferred easily, that's supposed to be another characteristic. Now, um, I'm not going to go ahead and, and name all the character. It's supposed to be scarce. That's another characteristic. Now, granted, I think you're are, right. Are these, sorry? Are these characteristics or are well, they morals? Uh, sorry? If they're no, morals, are, gave them to you. These are, I, now, I could be wrong about this, but this, this is the idea yeah. that I was working from. This is, this is... This is what you can call me up on. Like, my contention is that there is call out. I don't believe in call out. Like, no. Well, all I mean just, by that is critique me yeah. on this because whereas I may be wrong oh, about this, fine. I I understood that there was an original definition of what we consider sound money. But I think what happens is what people it, have. Yeah. Sorry, it's like with Bitcoin now. Well, I, with the, it's, it's this notion of the ideal. Like, sound money is the ideal money, and I mean, Hayek talked about it. I think a number of economists have talked about it. Mm-hmm. Nash has talked about it, but but it exists in this sort of like. It, it, like a, it, this notion of what would be perfect, um, but I don't know that there's anything more concrete about it other than again the semiotics value, which is that we go towards the perfect. But but the perfect as it is 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 maybe just a construct in our heads. It doesn't necessarily embody any concrete manifestation. Sure. Well, I don't it, think it's, it's a boolean. I, I think it's subjective, but there are definitely um, there are definitely criterias that we. Uh, that we, we use to define sound money. And where is, um, you're right, I think people have different ideas on what some of these uh, criteria are. I think, generally speaking, we have certain characteristics it's supposed to measure up to. In regards to liberty, I, I can't, like, I do understand enough about that. And once again, this is one of these topics where you're right, a lot of people have different ideas on what it is. But when I talk about liberty along the lines of voluntarism, along the lines of uh, libertarianism, I'm actually defining it within the philosophy of Lucky in property rights, uh, natural rights. Now, there is actually, like, there, there's a science to this. What happens over time is people um, people have different ideas. For instance, I, I've, I've recently noticed that a lot of people have a libertarian idea of what I would call volunt- libertarianism. In the, when is, whereas I look at it, I'm defining this based off of the non-aggression principle on natural rights. The, this, uh, I think t- Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson de- defined it as um, essentially right for liberty is... Um, free action, you know, uh, within the limits of the equal rights of other people. I paraphrase, but there is, it has to do with not violating the uh, inalienable rights of other people. You can actually define this within an actual framework, like mathematically. If you define variables, if you define what certain things mean, uh, there is actually a framework that you can work from. What often happens, I believe, is that people have a very different idea of these definitions. And over time, for instance, the idea of rights has not is has come into this category of not just individual rights or what we call negative rights, but people have added all of these other rights that aren't technically rights within the philosophy of locking property rights. For instance, um, po- positive rights like the right to security, the right to uh, uh, health healthcare, all that kind of stuff. And within the philosophy of libertarianism, um, that's not actually consistent with at least the, the way in which uh, Locke would define uh, natural rights. And because people have different ideas of what this thing is. That's how we arrive at the problem. It all comes down to definitions. You're, and you're absolutely right. Like my idea of the way in which I define liberty, the way in which I may define sound money, even though I don't have a clear understanding of the criteria, is somewhat different to a lot of how other people define it. And once, even with Bitcoin, you, have, you find that people will define Bitcoin based off of the white paper. Uh, it may be this evolving thing. Like how do you, how do you, correct? yeah, how do we agree humans- on what the definition is? Well, humans are wired to seek ideals in many ways. It's why when we look at TV, they're only good-looking people, and it's why when we talk about like you know uh, the president in some capacity, he has let us down in the way that he is deviant from the ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, it, for me, when you see people looking at Bitcoin, like they, the reason they come here is because it manifests some notion of the ideal. 
And the, then when they find that perhaps Bitcoin Core doesn't act in a way that they like or Bitcoin Cash doesn't act, they go to the white paper and they say, well, the ideal Bitcoin is the one that was uh, created by the benevolent dictator and or, you know, whatever your, your notion, God, even in some cases, um, like that's how I guess humans work. Um, the, 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 you got to watch out with libertarianism. Like, I, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an ideology and maybe it's the right one. Um, but there's a, a bunch of perversions that I found over the years in libertarianism, um, certainly in regards to taxes. Taxes in the United States, people don't want to hear this, are not only 100% optional, but you will be paid not to pay your taxes. When you and say optional, i got to stop you there. When you say optional, in what sense? In that yeah. you don't, I mean, you don't have to, or, uh, I mean, granted, that may be right legally, but what's likely going to happen to you if you don't pay your taxes? Well, I'm here on the beach right now. I'm on a little island off the coast of Florida, mm-hmm. and there are many people, uh, we call them beach bums. They are homeless. Uh, they have no jobs. They, they don't earn money by choice. They don't uh, participate in the economy, and we give them money uh, to eat for free and live on the beach. Sure. And these are one of the. This is one of the options that you have here in America. Uh, generally speaking, taxes um, are something you opt into, and you agree to pay your taxes when you take on work. Now, the, the more the nuanced. Social, I, I'm sorry to cut you off here. I just think it's very yeah. good to be clear about what we're talking about here, because when you it, when you say you agree to it is this something that you've actually formally agreed to or are you talking about the social contract here because a lot of people I don't think are formally agreeing to these things but because they're just implied because they come about societally um that's I think that's what you might be talking about because at least the well it doesn't work any differently than it does with bitcoin so like with bitcoin when you use bitcoin you agree to the rules of bitcoin you agree that there's 21 million bitcoin and the block time is 10 minutes it's part and parcel with the use. It's a it's a highway of sorts, and you don't get on it unless your car meets the right size. Well, I and, think I think it's a little different in that sense because okay, we're talking about sure. a pro- someone's product, all right? Uh, you may not be fully aware of it, but the the bottom line is if you, you if you download a particular software, it has certain rules. You don't have to use that. But I guess when we're looking at things along the lines of like I I believe in the whole idea of uh, natural rights, like regardless of whether or not people um, buy into this stuff, I I believe that I have a right to my own my own property you know if i for instance have my own home i'm living on it and a bunch of people um come into my area and tell me that well because i have i'm i've entered their area like they i come into this place that i i'm now required to pay a certain amount of money in order to fund the community purely because i built my my house on this on this land when the way in which i look at it i shouldn't be required to have to divulge any amount of money because you socially think that I'm required to uh, give my money to a society just because I built my money on this land, and I, I guess so, the distinction. So Hobbs, I'm, sorry, Hobbes wrote about Hobbes wrote about this a lot, and, and I'm very sympathetic to his mm-hmm. his canon. You, in my estimation, and this will be offensive to you; it'll be disgusting, probably because it's true, but but maybe not. Um, you can't have ownership without government. That doesn't seem to be possible. The social contract that humans uh, agree to when they live in a society is that in exchange for being beholden to the group will, they get to own. And the easy way to explain that is if you are a parent and you have two children, very soon you will find that the two children uh, both believe they own a toy. And when that happens, one of two things will happen. Either the most tyrannical kid will win, the, the strongest kid will beat up the other kid, and he's the winner, and, and that, that's how ownership works. Whoever's the strongest owns all the things. Or conversely, uh, they will defer to the parents to govern. And the parents then will look at the toys and the situation and assess and then award the toys ownership to the, the righteous child. Um, that's, that seems to be the way that society works. I, I think you would probably be very hard-pressed to find a society that could have any notion of ownership 
that didn't devolve either to tyranny or government. So, oh, there, so there have been examples. But yeah. if I could address what you're talking about, once again, this comes down to definitions, because I think the way in which you're defining ownership, it's someone's ability to defend what they have. Like, you're dealing in the realm of outcome. Like, unless, of course, you can actually defend something, it's not yours. Whereas my attitude is the truth remains the truth regardless of how many people support it. And if I'm defining ownership based off of who has initially um, applied in, this is from the libertarian worldview. If you've applied your own energy, your own labor, you've, you've mixed up your own energy towards a particular piece of land, now it's a, it's a, it's a bit of subjective concept over here, then you um, have more claim to that particular property. Now, regardless of whether or not you can defend claim that... Claim to who, though? That's sorry? the thing. It's, well, I'm because talking about the property. I'm the strongest man, it doesn't, that doesn't, shit, that doesn't fly with me. So what do you mean? <laughs> you, your shit, my shit. What do you mean? Oh, well, uh, so claim... Well, so, so let's say you... Let's say you had a farm. Mm-hmm. We're on an island. Okay, let's say you're on this island with me and there's nobody else here. Sure. It's you and I. And you're on one side and I'm on the other side. And you created this awesome farm and you have a daughter that's super hot and um, you made a canoe. All of that's mine because I, I'm stronger than you. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I want your daughter, as soon as I want your, your, your farm, I'll just kick you off the island and that's mine now. Well, sure. I mean, and, you can say yeah. something like that, but um, and that's that's your opinion. But what I'm the way, the way in which I'm defining this thing, unless of course you've applied like a certain amount of time and energy in in order to uh, uh, secure this area. I mean, we're doing this objectively, but the idea of me going to an island saying this is all mine, this is mine, I own it. Now, grant. Now, this is a subjective concept, but I think. Within the realms of reason, you can work within this idea that if you have subjectively applied enough time and energy in a particular area, it's not um, owned by anyone, and then you, you obviously have a high claim to that. And within this definition, then because you have a high claim to that area, that becomes yours. Now, you may not be able to defend it, is but it, isn't it, it's that what not the Native required Americans for, did? Sorry? Isn't that what the Native Americans did? Um, in regards to, in, in, in what sense? I mean, they had, well, yeah, but... So obviously you're talking about the idea of them having claim to a particular area of the land and a bunch of other people coming in and taking that land from them. Yeah, well, technically speaking, within a libertarian mindset, they have an actual claim to that higher. The fact that a bunch of people have come in and seized that and said it's theirs, it doesn't actually make it their land. It just means that they currently own that. So if you're working from the definition that because I own this, because I have more power. Who owns North North America? Sorry? Who owns North America? Because I don't, who owns North America? Well, obviously, there are no North Americans. Uh, well, this is, this, this comp, this ties down to, this is actually, this is good stuff. I mean, obviously, the people that, um, originally were there are no longer there at the moment, you know, but let's say if they were still alive, or let's say that their ancestors had actually passed that land to them. Now, they, they may actually legitimately have a high claim to the land that was usurped by the, the invaders. Now, the, the sheer fact that the invaders simply have that land now does not mean it's there from a libertarian mindset. It just means that, I mean, they've used force to seize it. But from the definition of, uh, like, libertarianism, it's not about defending that land, like, b- b- by force. It's the fact that you're the, you're the one that initially applied the time and energy towards it, therefore you have a high claim on it. So if you're working from the perspective of, wait a sec, I defend this place, this is mine, have you served it, I think, which is your definition then, yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. But if you're working from the libertarian definition, then regardless of who is defending that land, at, to who owns that particular land at the moment, is irrelevant. It comes down to who initially applied their time and energy and who has the high claim to that particular area of land. So well, When you say high claim, the, the, the claim in my mind has like a, a target. So the claim goes to an authority for processing. So what authority would you have? And, and the answer may be God. Like, mm-hmm. I'm very okay with that, but let me see what you have. All right. Well, um, it, gr- granted, it is subjective, but look, it has, it has to do with being able to pr- 
um, proof. I mean, if, for instance, I go to a particular area of land, it's not occupied by anyone. And then, um, so let's say, actually, better example, I find a house, right? Some little, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, shanty hut. It's not. It's unoccupied. Haven't can't find anyone else around it. Um, haven't seen anyone there for days. And I say, "Hey, this is mine." And then someone else comes into the picture and says, "Hey, man, this is mine." They obviously need to be able to prove the fact that it's theirs. They need to be able to verify the fact that. Of course. They, yeah. So it comes down. There is this body of proof, and if it can't be agreed upon by two individuals, then yes, it does require some kind of court, some kind of but private arbitration. But proof is an authority. So, so like for example, let's say on this island, mm-hmm. you you had a bunch of pa- so on, on this island we're both here. Just so it, it happens that I own the title company on this island. In fact, not only do I own the title company on this island, it happens that I own a title company uh, mm-hmm. even outside this island. And my title company, uh, the title company, Christa Rose, says that Christa Rose owns the entire earth. Now, I don't know what paperwork you have, mm-hmm. but my paperwork is in order. It says sure. very clearly, Christa Rose owns the earth. Yep. So what paperwork do you have? And again, how is it that you, who do you appeal to sure. if, in fact, I'm stronger than you? All right. Well, here's the thing. It comes down to the claim. If your claim is an illegitimate one, so once once again, this is within the realms of subjectivity. I, it's 100 percent legitimate. No, fair, I own no but the here's earth. the thing. When within the realm of libertarian philosophy, I mean, subjectively, you can say, yeah, it's legitimate. You know, it's because I, I say this, this piece of paper says it does. But the idea of claiming an entire area of land to be yours, so let's say an entire country, Earth, like uh, that's not considered subjectively to be a, a legitimate claim in that it, it is. The, the, you would have had to have applied enough time and energy, right? Like your entire group of people, and it needs yeah. to be rational. Like, granted, this deals but in an area. But didn't that work for the? Sorry, didn't that work for like? The, didn't that work for like Christopher Columbus? Didn't well, that's he the have whole point. That was an illegitimate title to that, North America. Yeah, but that was an illegitimate claim. The idea of doing something but like that just be one hundred percent. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking but, about. But, but hold on, and I, I can but see in terms to of the legitimacy. Isn't that what one? Like, not, I agree that Christopher really. Columbus is illegitimate. But what universe do we live in? The illegitimate one where he won or the, Ill- or the legitimate one where the Native Americans won? Well, here's the thing. I think objectively you can um, – I mean, granted, I, I say the word objectively here, but I think within uh, a, a rational, commonsensical approach, you can define when, when something is, is an Ill- illegitimate claim. For instance, if I went into your, uh, your country um, and I said, hey, you know, you know what? This entire country is mine. I own this now because I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I own It's not considered a legitimate claim. However, if I enter an area that is unoccupied by someone, it's a small area of land, I'm using this. Um, it's, it's, it's currently being but used by it, me. It is, I can say that it is subjective. the largest army always the most legitimate? Like if I, had, if I had the largest army, doesn't that always make me the most legitimate? You're working from the realm of what, like um, a non-libertarian mindset. So what, what you're saying is legit if you're defining yeah. this in the realm of being able to defend it. But within the, this, this is once again what it comes down to defining these parameters. I mean, the way, in which I, the way in which you define the philosophy of libertarianism, and granted there is a subjective element to it, uh, being able to defend it is not a requirement for legitimacy. I mean, well, uh, like it's, not, it's not the, the fundamental uh, defining characteristic of whether or not something is legitimate. Like if I own something, if I apply my labor to it, and, someone, and a bigger, stronger force comes to take it away from me and I can't defend it, it doesn't mean that that thing is no longer mine. The fact that I've applied my time and energy to it. something? Sorry? Sure. But no. I, I'd, I'd like not so, to sti- stick on this, because this, this, fundament, this fundamentally comes down oh, to a philosophical approach through, towards, um, yeah, towards but, life. But can I suggest something? Sure. I, I'll, I'll make it relatively quick. I, I would suggest that I came here with lots of ideology, and the sure. ideology provided a lot of meaning to my existence. It provided a lot of like validation of my ancestry or my, my beliefs. 
But what I came to decide for myself, this may Mm -hmm. not be right for you, is that the notion of the legitimate or the notion of the real is what I can see through empiricism. So in many ways, it seems to me that um, truth is necessarily without meaning or it perhaps um, is itself eroding of meaning. But uh, for myself, what I've found to be most successful is that which predicts truth. So what you may find, and this may not be true, but the degree to which you believe in an ideology is the degree to which you may find yourself disappointed uh, by the natural world, which is generally true in this space. Um, In any case, uh, you you should consider the, the libertarian meaning is very consoling. It's comforting. It empowers us. But is it predictive? And then when there is a mismatch, you'll find there's a lot of outrage. Sure, I, I, see meeting, what, yeah. I see what you're saying. So it has to do with it being able to predict, predict the truth and bring about um, something that was yeah. expected. You know, whereas I look at this from a place of, I mean, I mean just, to, just to understand where I'm coming from, I mean, this comes down to an understanding that there, I believe the, in this idea that there are, um, like, there is truth. There is objective truth, regardless of how many people support it, is irrelevant. I mean, for instance... That happened. You heard that sound. Regardless of whether or not the Bitcoin Core or Bitcoin Cash proponents say it didn't happen, it still happened. Now, granted, there are certain things that we are subjectively looking at, like, and these concepts are very much subjective to some extent. Um, if we define certain things, for instance, I believe, and I don't personally think it's a belief, I own myself. I actually have a legitimacy of, of control over my own body, my own thoughts that no one else has a right to. From there, I can actually arrive at other other things in regards to uh, um, natural, well, what I call, and I, I don't want to go into this too much, but fundamentally it does, like, I'm not working from a place of... If people owned themselves, we wouldn't have jails. Sorry? If people owned themselves, we wouldn't have jails. Um, would be my, no, my no, suggestion. This, this, doesn't have, this ha- doesn't have to do with the, uh, the, like the, the consequences. You're talking about um, the, the sheer fact. It's like saying, to me, it's like saying that um, if... Uh, if this sound, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a a, a comparison. Like the, the the fact of owning yourself is not dependent on what happens in the future. I mean, the idea of saying that I don't own myself, like I don't own myself because someone has the ability to put me in jail, is not relevant to me. If I own myself, regardless, now the fact that someone can take me and put me in jail, that's just something that happens in the future. It doesn't change the fact that, legitimately speaking. From an objective standpoint, I still have rightful ownership of myself. And that's the, the framework that I think you're looking at this in terms of what is likely to happen um, or what can well, I don't happen. Know you, I don't know that you, you even want people to own themselves because it seems to me that if someone robbed you, you would quickly call like the police and you would have them taken away and you would support that. So it, it, you can own your own thoughts probably, uh, but your body, it seems, is of the state or it is at least... Um, ownership in the herd, which which is kind of it's not that it's it's, it's antithetical to libertarianism. But like, mm-hmm. if you think about like, does your finger own itself? No, it belongs to the hand, and the hand belongs to the arm, and the arm belongs to the body. Uh, in many ways, I think the same is true of the humans, which belongs to the city, which belongs to the state, which belongs to the country. Yeah, kind of look, I, I I understand the uh, the perspective. I mean, this is a conversation that this is the uh, the age old uh, conversation that you'll have, you know, in this realm, like uh, uh you know. Every libertarian's had this conversation, but I, I don't see it like that. To me, um, the fact that I own myself sure. is, is a self-evident truth. I know it's something that you, you wouldn't agree with. I mean, but... I don't but, know that it's self-evident, but you, you may want to consider that it, it provides meaning. Mm, it provides, well, like, uh, validation. Yeah, sure. Or, like, but, at least... I mean, I could be wrong, but that's generally the appeal of ideologies. Sure. 
And look, I I like your approach in that it's a, it's a very humble one. Um, I tend to, you see, the, from the libertarian approach, I also consider humble in that it's not looking at what is going to happen. I think much of your thinking is um, you you try to uh, adopt truths that are likely to likely likely to predict something in the future. Whereas my attitude is, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I I don't believe you can definitively know. You're dealing in realms of probability. I can only deal in terms of what is and. Personally speaking, I only make definitive judgments um, on what is. So, granted, this it is still to some extent subjective. When I'm talking about myself, like certain things in regards to the now, which is the only realm that you deal in, um, yeah, I say things definitively. But when I'm dealing in what's likely to happen, it's something that I, I don't know. A lot of people think libertarianism is it's this uh, utopian idea in that it's going to bring about uh, a better society. I don't look at things in, in that from that perspective. I know a lot of libertarians support that idea, but it's based off of this idea of this is within the realm of like, um, uh, you know, from the philosophy of uh, property rights. So we can either go into Ayn Randian philosophy or uh, Lockean property rights, or you know, talk about Plato, deontological ethics. But it's this idea that there are axiomatic axiomatic principles that are inherent within nature. Uh, certain laws, just like the laws that govern. Um, you know certain math, certain principles in you know gravity and things like that. And without getting into that, I know this is obviously a, a contentious issue. I look at it from this idea of this is definitive. So um, regardless of what happens is irrelevant, as opposed to I'm going to accept this because it's going to lead to a, a predictable future. But uh, look, <laughs> this is this is one of those topics that is um it's. I, I think it's almost impossible to arrive at like a, a definitive answer because it comes down to the su- subjective nature of how we perceive reality. But <laughs> it is, um, it's, uh, it's definitely um, a fascinating conversation. But what I would suggest on this subject is that with blockchain, you can generally program these beliefs in humans, and that's blasphemous. And I get that you can program this but in humans. You- how would that happen? Well, we see it all the time. Um, generally speaking, humans do things to either comport with the group will, meaning if they do this thing, they will rise the social up the social hierarchy. So, like, um, there's any number of examples. Either like a couple kids who like dare each other to do something, and then the dare is comp- accomplished, and then that kid is now the hero, and he has gained social capital. Okay. Uh, or I don't know, in in, in uh, various other forms of society, that there's usually some notion of greed and social acceptance that comes by way of um, comporting with group will, and blockchain always provides that, seemingly. Um, and then there's also greed. Uh, people believe that if they join the movement and they do these things, then they will be enriched and they will have a greater uh, purchasing power in society. And so when you look into the space, like it's so like one way of looking at what happened in Bitcoin. Um, this is very postmodern. I'll mm-hmm. warn you in advance, but it's kind of predictive, and so it feels to me is that this social form occurred that is blockchain, and I don't know what it is about Bitcoin that has anything to do with gold. I don't know why it's not digital lead or digital silver or digital salt or it just has nothing to do with gold. But what happened was this sort of uh, simulation environment where probably accidentally the humans would arrive and as they arose, as they came, they wanted to ascend up the, the ranks. They wanted to perform the dares, the feats, the things that would gain them social capital. And what seemed to succeed was the discussion around and the beliefs around these ones and zeros becoming gold. And so through a series of like kind of accidents, various leaders uh, set up these these um, escalators up the, up the Bitcoin hierarchy, where if you treated this as gold and you talked about how it had this vintage history and it has these properties, uh, you would be received well with your friends, more value would enter the sphere, 
and uh, you would rise up the ranks. So all these people were doing this in, in some degree of tandem notion, and that created this belief, this structure of social form, wherein it seems that people honestly and truly believe these ones and zeros are rocks. They're digital rocks of a sort that is entirely uh, described by these gold memes. And um, I don't, I don't need to like disparage that. I think it's good, but that was one construction of the humans with the blockchain technology. Another such construction uh, was in the ICO wave. That was very similar in that it was um, a mound of humans who believed that these were financial products that were comparable to IPOs, and they entered the space with IPO tropes. So they came in and they were uh, of a new paradigm and. Um, we're day trading and we're getting in, uh, banks in and this is a new this, that, and the other thing. And you would ascend up that rank in that social form uh, by believing that these are uh, securities of a Wall Street 1990s-esque style. And, and there was other such simulacrum, other such simulations in the space. So this is roughly how you program people using, uh, I guess, the internet or you know, blockchain technology. And you can create these things. It's, it's not even that hard, frankly, once you kind of understand the patterns and... Uh, so yeah, you, you can, I mean, that's it's kind of what we saw here in the libertarian side of things. That's why blockchain took off, I think, in libertarian circles, is because it was uh, programmed such that any libertarian-leaning ideology would find a advancement in the social hierarchy by comporting with the group will of this blockchain. I, I, agree, blockchain. I agree to some extent. I think it's discounting, though, that there are plenty of people that uh, adopt things for other reasons. I mean, there I've noticed that there are libertarians that adopted uh, Bitcoin for other reasons, you know, for financial gain, but others that adopted it for reasons dealing with, um, you know, wanting to be part of something to bring about more freedom. And, and whereas I, I agree with, you know, the, the fun of, yeah, for the, for the most part of what you're saying, I think a lot of the times, even the intended goal of the creation of something um, isn't received that way. Like a lot of people that got, like, whereas Bitcoin may have been intended for a particular purpose, people started using that for a bunch of other different reasons. I'm sure the person that came up with the internet, they may have had one particular view for it. And there, there are plenty of scientific discoveries that had a particular intention, but through but have ended up being used for completely different things. I mean, there, there are too many to know. Yeah. You know, whether it's, uh, I, I mean, I, I, are, I think general, because of that, yeah. it's just it's very difficult to predict um, what's going to happen in the future. I mean, it's it's one thing creating something with the purpose of doing something, and then here's some someone else comes and decides to use it for something completely different. The amount of scientists, I'm sure, that are or, um, you know, they're pulling their hair out, you know, realizing that their inventions have been used to do something completely antithetical to what they're created for. I'm, I'm sure they're too many to know. And this is something that often happens in, in history. I mean, a particular uh, technology may have been created to do good, and uh, it ends up being used to completely annihilate the world. I'm, now, I'd, I'd like to to think of some examples of this, but they're, they're too many to know. Like, I'm sure... Uh, now, nuclear... I'm sure the... The scientists that were working on the uh, splitting of the atom, that kind of stuff, they had somewhat, I could be mistaken in this, somewhat benevolent ideas, perhaps wanting to use that for an energy source, but it's, it's, been, it's, it's now used as a, one of the most destructive forces in, in the world. So all I'm saying is, whereas I agree with you, it can be very difficult at times to know how people are going to use your, your creation, and that's why I try to stay away from trying to predict what is going to happen in the future. Just because, I've create, just because Bitcoin was created with a purpose, it doesn't, for all we know, Bitcoin could be used for something very, very different in another hundred years from now. Maybe? Of course. I, I like the prediction side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that I'm even good at it. Um, I'd say you are. But I'd say you are. Strive. I've been checking well, out you. your stuff, man. And uh, I think the way in which you talk about society, particularly in regards to the tribalism that goes on 
within the uh, the crypto space, uh, how people end up um, moving into particular camps. I think that's um, that's that's on on point. Thank One you. thing I really wanted to ask you, actually, because um, I, I think this is this is probably the the most important question. Uh, the people that are concerned with the future. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin in the future? How do you think that this thing is going to be used? You personally, because where is their, you know, their their statist uh, views, their libertarian views, their people that have views on financial gain, and you personally, what do you think is going to happen to uh, the different um, the different blockchains? And I know Antonopoulos has this idea of it being a lot like languages, how they're going to be maybe a few key ones, but for the most part, they're going to be, going to be multiple, multiple. Uh, um, blockchains, and I, I've, I've interviewed Craig Wright, and he has this idea that fundamentally there's only going to be, there can only be one, this Bitcoin maximal, maximalism approach. So what are your thoughts on the future of uh, the blockchain? Yeah, I, I think maximalism is very easily defeated at this stage for a bunch of, bunch of reasons, not least of which, like right now, um, there's, there's two kind of ways to predict this, maybe. Uh, one in, in, is more in financial terms. I'll, I'll go with that for just now. Um, the reason why I think Bitcoin maximalism is ill-fated at the moment is because number one, there are stratums of risk in the financial side of this space in the sense that the regulations are still being created. We don't know where those uh, chips will fall. So we create products that command some level of risk. And I think Bitcoin is commanding a huge level of risk uh, that is the the FedCoin risk. I think that Bitcoin probably stands the greatest chance of becoming FedCoin. It is uh, transparent. It is regulated. Uh, it is well understood. And it has a lot of liquidity. Just to clarify, um, just however, to clarify, Carissa, when you're talking about Bitcoin, yeah. we're talking, we talking, we got a lot of Bitcoin cash uh, proponents that listen to this. Um, are we talking about Bitcoin in general? Are we using this as a, a general term for all of the different cryptocurrencies? Or are you specifically referring to BTC or BCH? Good question. Um, I don't know at this point. I would assume it would be an index of BTC and BCH, but probably BTC, if only because it has the price history. Um, and the engineering history, but not certainly the case. So I, I say Bitcoin with some degree of trepidation just because it seems to me that, um, not number one, I, that, that's perhaps less interesting to me in the context of this discussion than the existence of a Fed coin that is of some derivation of the Satoshi Bitcoin. Okay. Don't forget, like BTC is, isn't the Satoshi Bitcoin. In my mind, th there's no reason why BTC is any different than BCH other than um, it, it has some, some sort of social... Uh, I agree leaf behind it but like they, they both forked yeah so you have you, so, so one of the bitcoins it, yeah. so one of the bitcoins it seems to me is best suited to be FedCoin. i don't know which and maybe even a combination of the two big ones somehow mm -hmm. and i agree that um, I, I don't think it matters anymore whereas i would have said it's it's really important the fact that the original uh is the bitcoin is is the one that is adopted i don't know because once again i don't know exactly uh, I, I can't predict the future and i can't tell what you know, i obviously don't know enough about uh the um the original version to know yeah Here's a problem that we have with Bitcoin right now that isn't even a problem, but it, it sort of requires that we have multiple blockchains. So if we if we think, and you may not, but if we think that Bitcoin is going to be the number one coin uh, used uh, in lieu of gold or adjacent to gold uh, between governments, it is the Fed coin. Then it would seem to me that adding fungibility would uh, reduce or even destroy that proposition that it would be a Fed coin. So perversely, if Bitcoin were to become fungible it would lose its status as becoming the biggest blockchain. So what's the solution? The solution is very easy. The solution is to have a second blockchain that is designed for the risk spectrum that is fungibility. And in that way, if you are an investor 
and you wish to expose yourself to blockchain risk, you start on the bottom floor. That's Bitcoin. If you want to expose yourself to fungibility risk, you go into the second floor, perhaps. And from there, there's anything from smart contracts or governance or whatnot. And you can expose yourself to those risks. But it is uh, the, the way of life that the things that you do in one direction come at an opportunity cost in another. So I think that what we're heading for is, in fact, a multi-blockchain world. I don't think that this notion of a single blockchain is particularly reasonable anymore for that reason in financial terms. Uh, in terms of what I, back to your original question, in terms of what I think is going to happen in the future, it, see, it seems to me that the awareness is growing that, in fact, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain is created by humans. It was not a construction of the non-human. And if that's the case, then, uh, like all committees, governance is not only required, but an efficiency. And so I would suspect that uh, governance would become a major part of blockchain as we developed from anarchy and from the primitive society online that we started into uh, more sustainable forms. And that would, in my estimation, be a growth area in this space. Sure. I, 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 I'm on board with that. And I suppose yeah. that, once again, like, I, I think a lot of this, um, uh, a lot of some of the uh, disagreements comes, comes down to how in which we use terms. Because when you talk about anarchy, I mean, the way in which you talk about uh, people accepting different blockchains, I look at that as a voluntary system. Like, I'm all in favor of having government provided it is, it is on a voluntary basis. Like, within the, the world of blockchains, if people uh, decide to use certain blockchains and, you know, they, they're aware of it or even if they're not aware of it, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't have to use these things. I'm completely in line with that. And just like my philosophy on government, like my whole attitude is in voluntary governments. If people want to have different governments, they can choose where they uh, they increase their risk. That's completely fine. But as a voluntarist, I guess my perspective is um, it can't be forced. And where is uh, I think I said initially during this uh, this podcast that when I'm looking at fiat money, as soon as a government decides that, so a a, a a governing body says, look, unless of course you use this, um, we're going to do this to you, we're going to inflict this kind of violence on you, that's the moment which it no longer becomes a voluntary system. So, uh, I, I guess I, when I'm saying... I don't know that that's really yeah. happened. Like, Sorry? I, I appreciate that. I just, it seems like that's like the theoretical boogeyman. It's no, very it hard does. to find it does. Examples. I mean, have a look at E-Gold. I mean, um, the guy that decided to create that was essentially, yes. essentially shut down, right? Well, so, I mean, that's another thing I would say we didn't even touch on, but in my estimation, really, the innovation of blockchain is one of two things. Um, it is the vacuum of regulation that has arisen in 2009 with respect to starting your own country. Yeah, It used to be you can start your own country. That used to be illegal. But all of a sudden, uh, thanks to blockchain, uh, it sure. seems you can start your own country. And, uh, and that's really cool. And, and in a lot of ways, I think that's exactly what's happening at this point. Absolutely. Um, but let's just be absolutely yeah. like, real about this. I mean, I'm, look, I obviously don't live in the United States, but I, I'm very, very much um, obsessed with the, with the lore, with the, with the history. And I mean, I think it's pretty self-evident that if you actually try to create your own money, um, and it became like a thing. I mean, it's been done many times. I mean, the, the government would actually come down on you, and you would suffer repercussions. Not anymore. And, the no, law has changed. Ripple. Ripple's Ripple? made its own money. I, I just think yeah, it's legal certain, somehow so, Yeah, now. certain regulations. Uh, sure. I mean, you, it can be done. I mean, yeah. the, the fact that it's decentralized. I mean, obviously, it's been done with Bitcoin, but um, I think the reason for its success is the fact that it was so de decentralized, the fact that it wasn't, uh, wasn't one particular person controlling that. And look, I'm just just because it could be done with Ripple. I mean, the, the well, point the point is the fact me, that it can happen. Yeah. The fact that there is that coercive threat there. Like, I mean, it is actually a thing. Like, it is technically, whereas it may not be implemented in the real world. That just like there are plenty of laws that I'm sure the government doesn't um, try to enforce. It is technically illegal, for instance, to do certain things. It's technically illegal to to take certain substances within 
um, like marijuana within certain states in the United States. Now, chances are you're probably not going to get into trouble if it's within certain states, but the threat is still there. So that's that's essentially what I'm talking about. It's like the fact that regulation is enforcement. I would suggest, and uh, despite what the books say, what is regulated is that which is enforced. Uh, that may help here. Something so, too that I would say that I think it should be considered is that there's a button that can turn this entire movement off at any time. That button's located uh, roughly at the SEC or at the ACH clearinghouse. And I do think that there's a lot of people who don't quite comprehend that. Um, and so what I see happening is that we're trying to remove that button. And I, and I think that's possible, but sure. I don't think we've removed it yet. Do you think? Do you and, personally think that the bat button could actually remove this entire thing? I mean, we're, we're dealing in yes. potentiality here. I mean, the fact that... Absolutely. Just, do you think the button could remove the internet? Um... Probably not the internet, but certainly uh, any and all crypto activity. Why? And, and the why not the internet? And yeah. why the why crypto activity? The internet it seems to be more censorship resistant in in the sense now that we have multiple countries involved that has full fledged support. So the button to turn off the internet, um, I don't know that I believe that it exists. And the degree that it does exist, it's probably very diminutive. So it would be like turning ICANN off or something. But all of the backbones would still work, and most DNS providers would still work, and and so like I, I think the internet would still survive if the United States decided to pull, let's say, the plug on ICANN. Well, correct me um, if I'm wrong, and I, yeah. I very well may be, but the button to sh- to turn off this whole Bitcoin thing. Similarly, I mean, mm-hmm. unless of course you decided to to shut down every. Um, I don't understand the, the technical terms in regards to this, but let's say the, the, the nodes, right? So everyone that's running the the blockchain, like a oh no, that's not how you do it. Sorry, that can, it. that can be done. So that can't be done. Yeah, but that, that's the hard. That's the hard way. The easier way is just to turn off the ACH on ramps, and there's just a there's a there's a quick form you fill out at, at uh, most government agencies. Uh, it's a cease and desist to serve the exchanges, of which there are very few, most of which are in the United States or have some method of deposit that is linked to the United States. But that's based so, on people not using the. I mean, that's not. Te- from, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're looking at this in terms of like. Prediction, like what's going to happen? What, the fact that these these laws are going to be passed to make it um, illegal, people being punished if they start behaving in a particular way. But as far as there being some well, button that can actually, that, sorry, all you have to do is just all you have to do is tell the bank stop servicing this company. Yeah, and but if that company is Coinbase or that company is Kraken or, or sure, so on. Sure, I understand. Um, I understand what you're saying, but obviously you're still yeah. going to have people that are doing this thing on a peer to peer level. I mean, it's like saying it's like the, the yeah the government saying, hey, we're not going to allow you to you got allow people to have sex. And at the end of the day, with the difference, it is, obviously, the difference obviously there's the a regulation. huge difference here. But the point, you know what, you know the point that I'm getting at. No, no, no. But but the, but the I, what I would suggest is that the efficiency of blockchain is its liquidity. Meaning, uh, if they press the button, the price of all these currencies would go to under a dollar, which is where it was before they enabled the legalities here. And so, if you wanted to send money uh, from here to Japan, uh, the amount of effort. Would involved would destroy the value, which is what kind of how Roger Veer got into this, by the way. But um, mm. th- th- meaning, if I want to buy like, if, if there's no liquidity in the market and I buy ten thousand dollars worth of inventory, then the price would shoot to the moon. I send it to the other guy, and he would sell the inventory, and the, mar- and the price would jump right back down to, to next to nothing. And that uh, that inefficiency and the risk of transit would render this highly risky and probably even less suitable than gift cards for doing sure. something like that. So the efficiency would be nil- like nullified. Whereas right now, saying. if you put a thousand dollars order in, liquidity is gigantic, so it just doesn't even affect the market price. Mm. And so the, the utility is directly correlated with the liquidity, and the liquidity is directly correlated with the on ramps and the ability uh, for a fiat to service. I follow the what space. you're saying within the realms of yeah. 
economics. It makes perfect sense. But t- to me, it's a, it's in in line with like a certain chain of events that would take place uh, to likely bring that on. But it's not a it's not a certitude in the sense that it's it's like saying. Oh, that agreed. It, yeah. If and there's if solutions you, to that too, by the way. Sorry. There's also solutions to that problem too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think we should be working on those. Um, sure. And you even see Coinbase starting to do that. So like. What you want to do, so risk exists in the, in the global economy in many different forms. And what you want to do is create this risk in such a capacity that we are not only so big, um, but that shutting us down would then impact you or impact your government. That's roughly how the United States dollar succeeded. Like right now, you can't turn off the dollar without having an um, impact to your own country or your, or your own citizenship or yourself. Uh, the goal would be to create uh, a blockchain economy that's so large that now if they, turn, if they turn the button off, it isn't Bitcoin that loses, it's America that loses. And in this way, that's generally how we would see something succeed. So I, I think that's doable, quite frankly. But I, I think that like some of the blind uh, courage and allegiance tropes are a little bit misguided. We, we should be constructing those things more. And I think we should be personally uh, more open-minded about and realistic about what it is that uh, our next steps are. I agree. I, I think there is too much um, blind faith and uh, belief in what is going to happen. I, this is a this is a common thing. Um, Derek McGill says as well. I I, I interviewed him and uh, he spoke about the idea that people kind of feel as if this battle has already been won when it really hasn't even begun mm-hmm. yet. And uh, you know, yeah. I, I I must confess I've I've taken on that attitude at times as well. But uh, I kind of a lot of the things that I say are for the purpose of trying to bring about good. Like you say something that may may not potentially be definitive, like, we're going to kick ass. It's like what a team does, right? It's like, we're going to kick this team over here. You, you may support one particular football team, and you say you're going to beat them, even though you don't know if it's going to happen, but it's a way of instilling confidence in other people. And I think a lot of the, the tribalism that goes on within the Bitcoin space, like, ah, oh, Roger's a shill, or, you know, Bitcoin is, a, is, is cra-. it's not said as a certitude, but it's said as a way of trying to create a particular change. And I think as long, as long as people are aware that realistically we don't know what's going to happen, and we're we're all trying to do things here. We're all I think most of us are trying to uh, bring about some kind of positive change in the world, um, you know, maybe for ourselves, but uh, yeah, create some kind of kind of positive change. Um, we just need to bear in mind that um, the only the only constant in life is change, and ultimately we're all we're all trying to uh, we're all, we're all kind of like having a, a stab in the dark here. Um, and what's going to happen, and kind of work from place of humility. Really? Yeah. But, Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure interviewing you on this thing. We've definitely covered some interesting topics, uh, some stuff that uh, I usually don't get into, um, but I'm glad I did um, in, in regards to the philosophical side of things. Uh, I try to keep these podcasts down to an hour, so uh, it's, yeah, we've gone a little over, which is fantastic. But, brother, uh, I look forward to, uh, I'd, I'd love to have you again at some point. You, you're always uh, sure. dropping some information, some powerful information, and, uh, I'll be sure to put a link down to your uh, your tw- I got your 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 uh, your Twitter handle over here. So if you want to send me some other links you'd like me to share on this podcast, that would be great. But brother, was there anything else that you wanted to to drop in regards to anything that you have coming up that you wanted to share with people? Yeah, if anybody is in the Boston area, um, we are doing a BitcoinHeretics.com or Heretics.com. Uh, show which is a trial format we're doing in the space uh where we talk about some of the themes that we've had here in the show uh i I don't exactly know what the overall goal is we're testing out the format tickets are 50 dollars payable only in crypto we don't accept we don't accept it yet and uh this might be the format of a show we take around the country where we uh try to align the bitcoiners on this notion of a drumbeat towards uh governance or progress or unity and uh, you can take a look at the lineup it's myself uh, daniel krawitz 
and Ben Armani coming on the 11th of October. If you are listening and you want to come on out, I'd love to have you out there. It'll be a real fun time. Fantastic. Well, Krista Rose, once again, you are a scholar, you are a gentleman, and you are a deep thinker. I appreciate your thoughts and your involvement in this in this space. And uh, although our philosophical ideals may not completely align, man, I, I salute you and I admire what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to hey, having keep you again. On pushing the boundaries. We, I, I want to encourage all forms of creativity that is remotely reasonable in this space. And thank you for having me on the show. It's great. It's been an absolute pleasure. Peace out, my brother. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. That was Krista Rose. We got onto some pretty pretty deep topics there. Wasn't expecting us to go into the uh, the libertarian uh, philosophic discussion as much as we did, but it was good to do that. You know, I often don't get um, don't get to go into that. So, ladies and gentlemen, let us know what you think. Be sure to drop lots of comments. Share. Tell your mom uh, about this podcast. Share this to your friends, and let us know what you think about. Bitcoin, about the future of Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Uh, let us know what you think about my libertarian philosophical ideas, my anti-status ideas, man. And uh, until next time, keep doing your thing and positively impacting the world. Boom shakalaka. I'm going to end this podcast as I usually do with my music, yo. If you want to check it out, I have a, a single, an EP out on iTunes, Spotify. You know the drill. And here's the promo video. Boom shakalaka. You know people in this life will always tell you what you can and what you cannot do. You can't let nobody put limitations on yourself. You gotta know that deep down inside, you got the will, you got the power, you got the fire. So if you wanna go, you gotta go like thunder. We've had to beat you up from your side. Bring up a rain needle in the direction. Have a moment, ponder on that weakness. Rise above it, keep working on that game, son. I'm about to school you when I thunder. I'm about to school you, know I got